a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Live Mike with Lee Lonsberry. Welcome back to KSL News Radio. I'm Jason Perry with the Hinckley Institute of Politics. Joining me is Morgan Lyoncotti, also with the Hinckley Institute of Politics. Morgan, good to have you back here. <laughs> you too. And we should tell people that they can weigh in on our conversation through the Utah Community Credit Union text line. You can text your comments to 57500. Please do. We want to hear the comments. If you've got questions, you've got things we want, us, want to ask, you know, we're looking for the great questions, so let us have them. Well, these, these guests know. Uh, our next guest, we're just so happy to have on the program, Senator Luz Escamilla. Thanks for joining us today. It's always my pleasure, Jason. Thank you. Well, we appreciate it. We, I want to talk about something that you that's been close to your heart, but something you're really taking a leading effort in right now. Uh, when when our state and people across the whole country are talking about police reform, uh, you've done some pretty amazing things, even just this week, and getting different groups together to get a, some idea of what they would want people, the legislature, to do when it comes to police reform. Maybe talk about your efforts there, the people you've been able to um, to to gather to have these conversations, what you're going to do with it. Yes, thank you, Jason. And again, thank you for uh, the Hinkley Institute, and particularly you as a director, for being our moderator in this. We had a more of a listening, um, you know, setting of a meeting uh, on, on Wednesday evening. And just as you mentioned, police reform is, you know, the top three probably more talked issues that we've been facing as a nation beyond, obviously, the pandemic and COVID, uh, but in our economy. But I think in Utah, we've been tackling this issue at the legislative level. I'm very proud of the work we've done. Um, you know, this is clearly an issue very close and dear to the heart of the legislators of color, which we happen to be six of us, and we call ourselves the Quad Caucus. But And we've been, you know, addressing this historically like our entire lives, right? It's part of who we are. But we've also gotten great response from our colleagues that are that not only represent districts where this is very critical to their constituency, but because they want to see positive changes for Utah. So we did pass a bill in the fifth special session, another so one from yesterday, but the previous one. And, and from there, we started having conversations of how do we engage organizations that have been in this business, like have been working on these issues for so long. So Wednesday was an opportunity where we recorded their conversation, right? They came, there were 14 of them representing um, racial and minority organizations, and that um, recording will be shared with all the legislators, more of an educational tool as we continue to work in reform. Very um, Many legislators already have filed bills on these issues um, in the different uh, positions, right? I mean, this is a huge spectrum. So we have different, you know, points of view, different perspectives, different ideologies, but we wanted to have this opportunity to bring these individuals, have a conversation, have their perspective on how, from a statewide perspective, they want to see policy moving forward. So that's what we did on Wednesday, and I think it went really well. Well, I, I thought it was very informative and well done, too. So uh, are, are you, what are you going to do with the information you received? And maybe just a couple comments on any themes you saw some that seem to be consistent through these great groups of advocates. 
Correct. So one, so great question. So what is going to happen with that information is it was very policy oriented, which I appreciated. And keep in mind, as a state, there's so much we can do. I mean, a lot of our law enforcement agencies are local law enforcement, which have been obviously have their own local government and, and governance to, you know, to adhere to. For us, it was what can we do at a statewide level? So one of the things that were very, uh, that everybody agreed was the uh, a review board, right? A community review board. And how does that look like a citizen review board? And we are, there's bills already filed to have a citizen's review board at the statewide level. The second one is data. I mean, how do we create a data collection that could provide us with better information so we can do better policy? And if we can certainly, is there a way that we can assess for implicit biases, right? Not only explicit. Explicit is easy, but implicit bias is hard. Um, de-escalation training, number, you know, everyone talked about the importance of having de-escalation training. And so those are some of the topics. What happens from this point on is you're going to see more of um, groups working together with stakeholders that obviously also includes law enforcement and um, having those pieces being developed at a statewide level. It's so interesting, and it's been interesting to see some of the protests here in Utah. Um, I w- I'm actually curious to get your take on what some of these protests that have happened in Salt Lake City. I have friends and family throughout the country that were surprised that Utah had such large-scale protests and that things um, lasted as long as they did, especially those that were focused on police reform. What were your thoughts on some of those, and how did those inform the conversation about police reform? What I think was very, uh, you're absolutely right, very eye-opening is that a lot of people didn't think Utah is that, you know, they're not that diverse, it's very homogeneous. That has changed significantly. I think I, I always challenge that when I travel outside of Utah. Um, you know, it is, it's growing. It, it was very homogeneous, but that has changed. And now, you know, we're talking about 20% of our population being a racial and ethnic minority at a minimum, right? I think this new census is going to give us um, a different, a very new, very new good numbers. And hopefully if people do their census, right, which is critical right now, uh, we can get that correct data. But one is that in Utah, we are we like to bring reform. We like to bring good public policy. Uh, we've been doing really good things on issues related to immigration, for example. We were on the front, on the forefront of good public policy when it comes to immigration. I know Jason participated as a member of the governor's cabinet during that time when we did that. Uh, so, you know, things are, are changing, and sometimes Utah brings good ideas. So I'm hoping the police reform will not be any, any different. And I, I think the uh, protests were... Um, were really meaningful because it really created an opportunity for people to see that Utahns care, that they want to see, you know, good police uh, reform. You know, obviously, nobody, everybody supports the idea of people's opportunity to their freedom of, of expressing themselves and bringing forward information and protesting. We do not support vandalism and destruction of property, clearly. But this opportunity of seeing the activism of communities, especially younger Utahns, was very inspiring. And I think my colleagues saw that in that process. Now, Senator, I think that's true also. I, you just mentioned a couple of uh, consistent themes in what you're hearing, and you've given us a preview too, but I'm wondering if you'd tell us uh, what legislation you think is going to be coming in this particular area from you, from your colleagues, uh, that we should be paying close attention to, because I know there are several key issues that you can address. 
Yeah, definitely you're going to see de-escalation training. I know Representative Romero is moving forward with that bill. She's very, you know, um, she's done this before on in issues related to law enforcement and criminal justice. So she knows how to bring the stakeholders together. So I think we will be successfully seeing, uh, seeing a successful bill relating to de-escalation. We also have bills like Representative uh, Kwan that is working on more access to mental health for our first responders. So this is not a us against them, right? This is an issue of bringing good public policy, good tools to our law enforcement as well and our first responders so they can be better prepared and they have the tools they need to succeed. So, for example, Representative Karen Kwan moving with not only uh, you know policy changes but also funding to provide mental health for our first responders. We've had bills. Uh, Representative Whitley uh, is working on his bill related to the, civil, the community and um, Civil Review Board, so having the constituency be part of that review board. There is work on the data collection, and that's something I'm working on. But I'm also running a bill that addresses systemic racism and how do we, from a statewide perspective, look at systemic racism, not only in law enforcement, but in everything across the state. So that's one of my bills that I'm running. So those are some of the, the things I know are happening. Wow, that's a pretty good list right there. Uh, Senator Escamilla, you're a great advocate and a great member of our legislature, and we're very grateful to have you there. Thanks for spending some time today. Thank you so much, guys. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.